Exodus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. Micah 6, 8. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with you, God? How does your faith affect the way that you're kind? Join us each week as we dig into God's Word with a guest. And at Revitalized Kindness, we believe that through Christ, we are a new creation, revitalized. And as we follow Him, we can revitalize kindness in our own culture. Welcome to Revitalized Kindness Podcast. My name is Dave Weaver. And I'm Yvette Walker. And we welcome back. And we on this episode, this episode is the Old Testament God versus the New Testament God. So what we want to do is we really just want to unpack like, well, we're going to unpack a few things, really. We're going to look at some of the differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament, but really not really just differences, but how do they come together and make one you know, uh, uh, fluid story and, and they support each other and they complement each other. But we also want to see like in that, that God also is no different from the old Testament to the new Testament. And so we want to show that tonight. Um, and I think it's going to be a, an interesting conversation because when we think about unplugged faith, this is another thing that may come up for some people where either they're an unbeliever that will not even touch our faith because they believe our God is a mean God. He's a God of genocide. And that's kind of, you know, and and it's understandable if we pick verses or hear or read verses. And, and that's what we're reading. We're reading about the annihilation of the Canaanites or another tribe or another people in the old Testament. And that's tough to take, especially if it's either at the hand of God or, or at the will of God. And so I think it's an, an, another big objection that we hear a lot of times, you know, we've, we've talked about being hurt by the church. Um, I think another people, another thing that people look at often is, you know, your, your God's not really all that loving or your new Testament God. He's okay. I like Jesus. I like some of the things he said, just like he's, you know, he's a, another person in brainy quotes or whatever, whatever those sites are where you look up quotes and you want to find these neat quotes. So sometimes people look at Jesus as just somebody that said a lot of good things, did some good things and really taught about love, but that's big and that's different. There's a big difference between that and what we see in the old Testament God. And as Christians, we have to know that we're going to get those questions sometimes. We hear from people, well, you know, why does God let bad things happen? Or why, or, or as you said, why in the Old Testament did he seem like this very mean God? And number one, we need to know that those questions are coming and not be surprised by them. And number two, try to the best of, of our ability to, to show how God's nature is consistent and 
it's really not two different gods. Like it's not versus like a fight, you know, like a, like a fight club or something. We're not talking about that when we're talking about versus. Um, but people sometimes do have those questions and we need to be prepared to, to at least if, if not answer them, because we may not be equipped to do that, but at least understand where they're coming from and try to show what God means to you, to you. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, there was one, uh, pastor Andy Stanley, a lot of people are familiar with Andy Stanley. And I remember he w- he was a little controversial at one point in his ministry when he was kind of like, uh, alluding to the fact that maybe we just don't need the old Testament. And I can't remember how he framed it, but a lot of people were worried about the way he was framing it because he was almost like he was excusing the old Testament from what we, we need to know. And, and, but the thing is it, we need to learn how to look at both and see Jesus. You know, I, I was talking to somebody the other day and they said, you know, you see Jesus all the way through the Psalms. And then you see, you know, cause there's, and, and there's the prophecies and we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight too. Um, and so there's just so many things that point to Jesus. And so, you know, again, just understanding, you know, why one is almost dependent on the other. It is God's word. All of it is God's word, right? Mm-hmm, no, so true. And, you know, I bought a, a Bible for my husband a few years ago, uh, called the Jesus well, I don't know if it's called the Jesus Bible, but that's what I call it. And mm-hmm. as you said, it is a Bible with commentary that tries to explain how you can see Jesus through the entirety of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so that I think is helpful to try to get a handle on it. So there's some resources out there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's, a, there's another one that I do. Let me see if I've got it in front of me probably not but oh yeah it's a christ-centered exposition um i think it's something that lifeway puts out but it's called christ-centered exposition it's a you know it's a study book like you study book by book you know or use it like for a small group or something um but that's the purpose of their study is to kind of show jesus all throughout and actually i have one on exodus and it's and it's a good one but so we'll look back and let's look at, so, so first let's, we're going to do some comparisons real quick. Um, many of these you, you may have heard of and the audience may have heard of some of these I wasn't as familiar with, or just hadn't thought about it. So just some comparisons between, again, the old Testament versus the new Testament. Um, so a lot of people will look at the old Testament as kind of being foundational, you know, just to kind of lead into the New Testament. Again, we talked about that a little bit, but the New Test the New Testament builds upon the, the foundation that the Old Testament set. And then but there's a further res- revelation of God. And I think you see a more fullness of God because you've got the, like, for example, the book of Acts, which is a lot of people will say, you know, it's called the Acts of the Apostles, but a lot of people say it's Acts of the Holy Spirit, because all through that book you see where the Holy Spirit prompts and 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 leads and and teaches uh the apostles through their journeys and so there's there's a there's a heavy usage there uh jesus talks about in the gospels sending the the whole holy spirit to the to the disciples so and then you see of course of course you see jesus so you see the embody or the physical uh 
part of, uh, well, I would say part of God, but you got the, what they call the, what's the name? It's a theological term. I learned it several years ago. It's called hypostatic union. That's what it's called. So they got the hypostatic union, which is that's G which means Jesus is fully man and fully God at the same time. So, you know, not to, again, not to separate the two, but put that in, in one, you know, he, so that's to get us to understand the fullness of God in the physical, in the spiritual, and of course, as the father. And so, you know, it's really interesting to think about that foundation and how that builds up again to the new Testament, where there's this full revelation of God. Um, really cool. I like um, that. Hold on. Uh, I, I learned yeah. something new tonight. Say that one more time. Hypo- Hypo- oh yeah. Hypostatic union. Hypostatic I think it's union. I think it's hypo like H Y P O S T A or how do you spell static? Static. <laughs> union. <laughs> wow. Union. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, and then Old Testament uh, provides a lot of prophecies, right? So we've got all the prophets, the major and the minor prophets, but many of those prof- prophecies were fulfilled. Guess where? In the New Testament. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Well, and so, if, if, you know, this, so we're recording this during Holy Week mm-hmm. and right now the TV show, The Chosen has been marathoning all week and not that that's the Bible, but I notice very much that the people in The Chosen, obviously it's the New Testament because it's the life of Jesus. They are referring to the prophecies of the Old Testament as Jesus performs miracles and things like that. So it's been very interesting. You mm-hmm. can see it if you, you know, if you, if you read both. And of course, as you said, those, um, those uh, commentaries can really help show from one part of the Bible to another part. Oh, absolutely. And there, and there's one link that I'll drop in the show notes from again, gotquestions.org. That's my normal go-to. Um, but they've, they've got a great article about how many prophecies did Jesus fulfill. Mm. Now, I like it, not because it's just an article, but at the bottom of the article, they actually, they give a grid of the type of prophecy that was fulfilled, a description, and then right beside it, they give you links, like your little hyperlink you can, you can click on for the Old Testament and the New Testament. So the Old Testament where the prophecy was spoken. And then the New Testament, where you find that it was fulfilled. So it's kind of neat. You can kind of marry those things together. Um, in, in the article I was reading, uh, you know, most people kind of sit in this area and say that, you know, Jesus fulfilled at least 300 prophecies in his earthly ministry. Um, there are some scholars that say there's even more. I, I think one uh, by the name of Jay Barton Payne said that he has found as many as 574 verses in the old Testament that points to, or describes uh, a reference of the coming Messiah. And then Alfred, uh, I think it's Edersheim found 456, but the point is there's, there's a lot, you know, we got at least 300 that we know of that a lot of people will agree on. And so you've got a lot of prophecies from the old Testament that will point to the new and and more specifically point to Jesus, the Messiah. Some of the prophecies that, you know, and they get pretty real specific too, like born of a seed of a woman. 
and they're all talking about Jesus, born of a virgin, even, even more specific, that he would be the son of God, that he would be from the seed of Abraham. Um, and in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, they say to be a son of Isaac, son of Jacob. And then in the New Testament, there's, there's scripture there. The Old Testament describes further the family line. So he looks at, you know, you can go to Matthew chapter one and see that, that Jesus comes from the line of Jesse. And then, you know, another one that kind of, well, I was going to say shed light. And I was like, well, no pun intended, but it says a light to the Gentiles. So there is an Old Testament uh, scripture. Uh, and I didn't write that down, unfortunately, but that, that points to that he'll be the light of the Gentiles. And you, as you see, and, and you know, G the, the Jewish nation, um, you know, they were the chosen people of God. And even in the New Testament, as you study like the disciples, uh, the ones that hung out with Jesus, that were really close to Jesus, some of them, like I think Peter and John, for example, they had a tough time sometimes understanding that, you know, Paul was taking that ministry. Um, yeah, I think, I think they accepted it, but I think it's sometimes they kind of had a tough time understanding, but you know, that he would take that ministry, uh, to the, uh, the Gentiles, because sometimes they were wondering like that. They even got into a, an argument at one point and they didn't understand why, you know, why are they all here together? And, and so, and, and Paul did some correction in that moment with them, but mm -hmm. yeah, just really cool, uh, that you see all that in in prophecy um so the old testament records the giving of god's law and the new testament in the new testament jesus fulfills the law so jesus mm -hmm. does what the law couldn't do and the old testament deals mainly with god's chosen people the new testament it deals mainly with his church so again you got god's chosen people his church that umbrella is everyone everybody that, that's a believer and again, they had tough time understanding, but you know, it's, it was everyone. And lastly, I just, last one I've put, there's so many that you could write down here, but lastly, the old Testament shows God's wrath with a glimpse of grace, but the new Testament shows God's grace with a glimpse of wrath. So you still see both. And I, it appears from what I've read that you do see more of the wrath per se in the old Testament. And that's probably where a lot of people get it. That's where that, that notion comes from, but there is grace also sprinkled into that, if you will. And so we'll show that later where there's some verses I want to share. Um, so I think that was really cool. So that's a little list I got just to show that, Hey, there are some similarities. There's supportive ideas there's things that kind of marry together as we think about the New Testament and the Old Testament. And this is just kind of a foundation to say, hey, we we see this, this uh, you know, Old Testament needs the New Testament. There's there's no difference there. But what about God? You know, it. so God is different? No. So that's what we want to show. There was an article that I read this is interesting. I'm going to read this. We need to talk about this because I, I'm still trying to wrap this around my head. But I thought this was a little profound, just the way that Mr. John Piper put this. And um, it was an article. I'll put the link in the show notes for you guys. Five truths about the wrath of God. Right. All right. Look, uh, he said, here it is. God's wrath is his love in action against sin. Okay. 
So what does he say here? He says, this is counterintuitive, but hear me out. So God is love and God does all things for his glory. Um, he gives some verses in there to support what he's saying. Um, he loves his glory above all. And that is a good thing. He says, therefore, God rules the world in such a way that brings himself maximum glory. This means that God must act justly and judge sin, um, i.e., or example, respond with wrath. Otherwise, God would not be God. God loves for his glory, motivates his wrath against sin. And admittedly, he, he, he ends it with this. He says, God's love for his own glory is most is a most so, sobering reality for many and not good news for sinners. It is, after all, this from Hebrews 10, 31, a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So that's, I was hard to wrap that around my head. And again, I'll read the kind of the key thing out of this. You know, again, God does all things for his glory. And again, we should glorify God in the things that we do, right? So God's glory is sort of the point here, right? Yeah. Um, he loves his glory above all, and that's a good thing. And it says God rules the world in such a way that brings himself maximum glory, which means he must act justly and judge sin. And that's where sometimes we see the wrath of God. When you hear about the wrath of God, Yvette, you know, outside of, just reading that, I mean, what, what kind of things come to your mind when you hear about the wrath of God? Is it, does your mind go straight to the old Testament or is it something different? Yeah. I mean, it does, it, it does go to the old Testament, but I think a lot of things happened in the old Testament for a couple of reasons, because he was preparing his people and he had he had to he had to get them on the right path. He had to correct them when and they and they needed correcting a lot of times. Um, but he had to do that. The other thing is, is that in order this is before Jesus, in order for people to commune with him, all the structure had to be had to be created. You know, you had to have the tent of meeting and you had to, everything had to be just so. Um, and, and a lot of us don't understand all the rules. We don't understand right. that because Jesus came and we didn't need that quite as much, you know? So, um, yeah, I do think of, of old Testament, but I also think, and I don't know, I've heard this, um, in sermon series before. And, um, and I wrote a poem one time that included something about this. And it was the idea of if God sends in, you know, in the sense of say a tornado or a hurricane or a cyclone, mm -hmm. God sends this and well, it has, just put, let's, let's not say God sends it, but it happens. And then we're always wondering why did it happen? But the question is, was it God's wrath or was it to clear our path of something that needed clearing, you know? So it's just kind of like this visual idea of, you know, a cyclone coming and devastating everything. But was that because we're, was that because of punishment or because things needed to be cleared in our life? And I'm not talking about an actual hurricane where people lose their lives and their homes and stuff, but this kind of visual idea of something that kind of maybe upsets your life or wrecks your life. Mm -hmm. Did, 
it, was that did that happen because things needed to be cleared? And so mm-hmm. that idea, I think, is an interesting one. Um, we, you know, there's no way for us to completely understand the nature of God except to know that He is consistent. Mm. That His nature is consistent. Uh, he He fulfills everything that He said that He was going to do. Um, and I think that that's what we can know. But we're humans, and so it's hard for us to understand exactly. Um, the the wrath nature um and we do see it in the new testament there are examples of that kind of negative god if you if you were to say it like that it's Mm -hmm. not just in the old testament it does exist in the new well would it be fair to say you you said you know we we see the consistency in god right or there's or no you didn't say that you said there is consistency in god would it be fair to say his nature is consistent would it be fair to say that, uh, although that's true, it is true. I, I, I do believe that as well. Uh, Yvette, would it be fair to say though, that we don't always see it? In I would other say words, that's fair. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because again, I, I think going to big picture mode, um, like if we look at the scripture, like we can look and understand and see how it was, it, was, it unfolds. But I think mm-hmm. sometimes these situations or the, the uh, people that we read about and when they were in their moment, mm-hmm. they didn't understand. They had a lot of questions. But now we see all the, the, the rel- you know, the, the relativeness of it, the the uh, the fruits of God in it now, because mm-hmm. we've got this big picture. We can see it a little better. I mean, we may still not always understand the things of God, you know, in a sense, but um, but we have this bigger re- revelation of who God is and the, the, the uh, events that had to happen, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I think it's interesting. I think, yeah, I, I see, I, I, I believe that God is consistent, but I think sometimes we just don't, when we don't see it, um, I think that's where people get a little upset, maybe, you know, when I think of wrath too, and thinking about God and thinking about like, you know, we're going to get into this in, in a second is like providential control over things and affairs, human affairs and uh, like the nations and all of that. Sometimes when I'm thinking about God in the sense of a father, especially. I think about just being a parent, <clears throat> you know, and, I, you know, sometimes we, we we talk about things, too, like when we get into especially like nor- the New Testament, when we look at verses that says, you know, the foreshadowing or the uh, foreknowledge, rather the foreknowledge of God and, you know, the providence that he has over things. I think a lot about parents, you know, our children don't always understand why we do or why we say what we say. Now we always got, well, I ain't gonna say we always got a good reason because sometimes we, we fail. Right. Mm -hmm. And God's perfect though. He's not going to fail, but you know, I think sometimes I just think about like how, what we know, we foresee or foreknow what might happen if they stand up on the top step of the ladder and we see a broken neck or whatever, because it happened to us when we were, you know, you know, five years old or six years old, anything like that, where we kind of like been there, done that, as we say, um, and children don't always understand that and children get frustrated. And children sometimes go to anger or bitterness because of, of, because of those kinds of things. Cause they don't understand why mom and dad was so rough on, them, uh, you know, maybe verbally about, you know, something that they did that could have took their life, 
you know, they ran yeah. across the busy highway or something like that. Mom and dad get a little upset. They see the wrath of their mom and dad uh, or maybe feel the wrath of their mom and dad or whatever the case is. Uh, but, you know, it's I think I think of it like that. And I think we kind of have to in a way to even get close to understanding. You know, we uh, we kind of know how life works. We don't always do life well, but you know what I mean? We, we kind of know how life works. And a lot of people say we know how to play the game um, and children don't. And so we kind of know like steps that need to be taken or places where they need to be that kind of thing. And I think God has that God being God and God being almighty and all knowing in these types of things, things that we we're not even close to it. Right. That then I kind of have to wonder like, okay, why would I question what God might do? Because then I'm thinking like a parent, if I think like a parent, I mean, what do you think about, about that? Is, is it's, it's not an exact, you know, comparison because we can't be compared to God, but what do you say? I think you really nailed it. There's a certain amount of um, either either life experience or even if we have never burned our hand on a stove, we've got a certain amount of reason, reasoning that we're able to do that the child can't do yet. You know, you know, that part of the brain maybe hasn't developed enough. So we know you put your hand on a hot stove, you are going to have some pain. Or as you pointed out, stand on the top, uh, a step of the ladder, you might fall over. And we can somehow, as you say, either foresee that because it happened to us, or we just know it's going to happen. So if we know that, imagine what God knows who can see backwards and forwards in time and parallel times. If, if you, if you can get through quantum mechanics, I, I think right. and parallel universes and all of that. And I don't claim to know, I really don't claim to know much about that. But if we can figure out, don't step out in the street because there's a car coming and it seems like it's a long way away, but it's not. If we can figure that out, imagine what he can figure out. So, you know, why do we question? Yeah. And just a side note, I, you said parallel universes. Uh, that's interesting. You know, well, because I'm a Spider-Man fan, so there's a <laughs> lot of that multiverse stuff. Yeah. You know, multiverses and all that stuff you know what's something interesting that i heard though from an apologist now and I, I don't know anything about discoveries and what science is looking at on that i haven't really followed it so much but uh one one apologist said that it's another attempt attempt from science to explain away god because mm. if we have a if we have another universe or a parallel universe that is outside of ourselves then us explaining God in this universe becomes more relevant. And it's probably deeper than that. Uh, and the, whoever I was listening to, I, I probably Sean McDowell, I think, but it's just interesting. Cause like, uh, what have you, I mean, is this something like it's a real thing or not real thing, but, uh, are, are scientists actually, um, I mean, seriously looking at this? Well, I mean, listen, so I'm a journalist, which means, which means I didn't study a lot of science. Generally, that's what that <laughs> <Well>, means. <neither. laughs> uh, but here's the thing. At least this is what I believe. God invented science. He invented medicine. He invented everything. All the wisdom of the world comes from him. 
So I'm one to say, I'm one to say, go to the doctor if you're sick, because God mm-hmm. created the doctor. He created the science. He created the wisdom. So yeah, go to the doctor. You know, I'm not saying that God can't heal you, mm-hmm. but the healing, he has created all of that. And so I believe that he's created science. I don't know. I do know. And I could be completely wrong. And someone pr- will probably, you know, call, not call in, but maybe, you know, post somewhere that we're completely wrong. But I know that there's a form of mathematics or science that talks about how time is not just, it's not just straight from A to B. And that whole argument of how time can kind of wrap around itself could mean that there's some parallels, but don't, don't quote me on it. Cause I am not the expert, but all That's I'm going to say, that would be a good show though. That would be a really we, good well, show. We, to... should, we may, we should have someone, but I'll <laughs> have someone on to talk about that. But all I'm saying, if that's true, then God made that. That's all I'm saying. Cause he made everything. Oh yeah. God, well, I agree with that. If there's anything out there that that's real, uh, including aliens, people, I don't, I don't know. Say I if, believe in if aliens. they're there. He if made there. If they're there, God he made, made it. it. Yeah, because he he created the everything. Right. So that, that yeah, those yeah, come up with as many theories as they want. It will not explain God away for me, anyways. No. no. And yeah. I'm sorry. Can I just say one thing? It's sure. <laughs> something that bugs me. So the I really been trying to learn more about apologetics, mm-hmm. and and I'm very interested. Actually, I really am interested in. Um, the discovery and formation of words and like, you know, where words come from, mm-hmm. but the word apologetics bugs me because of, it seems like the word apology is in it uh-huh. and, and we're not apologizing for mm-hmm. God. I know that's not what that means. That, right. I mean, apologetics means that we are using, we are, we're, we're able to explain in rational and factual terms that God is real. Mm-hmm. I think I believe that that's a good explanation, but the word apology in it just it makes me feel like we're that for some reason when people who don't know what that means when they see that word that it means that somehow we're apologizing for having to explain God that I sorry that's just a little aside it just it's bugging me <laughs> yeah yeah and I I'm not an expert on the the words either you know. Um, I think the only similarity that I could probably find is just the fact that it is basically given a reason for something. So when you apologize, you're given a reason. I don't really, I guess, I don't know if you can call that a reason. I think some people say that's just an excuse, but sometimes you're given a, I don't know, maybe it's not the same. I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe the root word of, of apology in, if we were to go back in history, maybe the way we use it today is not correct because today when we apologize, we are either assuming guilt or some kind of, um, or, or we're assuming some kind of, um, uh, reason, but not reason in that way for Mm. having to say, I'm sorry, but I'm just, I don't know. I don't know why we use that word. You know what? I'm going to look that up next time. I'll come back and let you know what I find. Well, the meaning of it, but you'd have to compare. And I, I will say this, it's Greek. So I don't know Greek yeah. structure and all that. Some people say, well, that's just nothing but Greek. And they, that's when they say, they say that when they don't understand something. So maybe that's part of it uh, for me and, you know, for others. Uh, apologia means a formal, a formal written defense of one's opinion or conduct. Um, and 
you know, if you think about it too, if, if you say conduct or conduct, then, you know, the way you conduct yourself, sometimes you have to give an apology. So I don't know if that's where they, where mm. they, uh, where they marry each other a little bit in the meanings. I'd have to study that too, just to see like, what's the difference between the roots of apologia versus apology. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get apologetics. I mean, they because... could be two different words that, and I'm digressing. I am so sorry, but I really no. been think, I've been thinking about this. It's been bugging me. Maybe the word that we're using for apology that says, I'm sorry, maybe that's a completely different route than apologia, which mm-hmm. is the defense of the opinion. You know, maybe, you know, maybe one is Greek, but then maybe the one, the other one is, is Latin or, you know, right. some, something else. Be. So if you um, find anything before yeah, the end, yeah, I, let well, me know. If, if not before the end, next time. <laughs> next time. That's right. All right. So there's this. Uh, so we're talking about, uh, well, we kind of left off talking about God's control and things like that. There's something that I read in uh, Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology that, that was kind of interesting to me. Um, let me find the verse. There we go. All right. So let me read this. So he's speaking about in the, this particular section. God's providential control of human affairs and including the nations. And he says this, there's a couple of verses he has in here. And then there's this interesting thought towards the end. He says, we read that God makes nations great and he destroys them. He enlarges nations and leads them away. So if you look at Job 12, 23, you'll see that mm-hmm. and, um, to add, he says, dominion, or this is from Psalm 22, 28 which says dominion belongs to the Lord and he Mm -hmm. rules over the nations. Mm -hmm. Um, He has determined the, and this is something he's saying. He says he has determined the time of existence and the place of every nation on the earth. For Paul says in Acts 17, 26, that he made from one, every nation of men to live on all the faces of the earth having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their habitation. And so just real quick, I'm going to read the next verse after that. I thought they didn't include this in the book, but thought it was important because it kind of explains that last verse. And it says he did this. God did this so that they might, they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him though. He is not far from each one of us. And so this kind of like, all right, a couple of things it's brought up for me. Um, and again, talks about, it gives a couple of verses to show that, you know, he makes the nations, he can destroy the nations. Um, he had uh, dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. Well, you know, sometimes when we read this, um, I think a lot of times when we read this, actually, we have no problem with it. You know, this is kind of one of those verses where we're like, hallelujah, our Lord is great. You know, that that kind of sentiment. But when it comes to God actually in action where he is, he's showing his sovereignty over nations, moving them or moving them out of the way or any of that, then that's where people start having a problem. That's kind of interesting. That came up in my mind as I was reading that. I was like, you know, usually when we read these verses, it's not a bad thing. When we read it in that context, but when we actually see God doing these things, then we start like, well, should he? Did you have any thoughts on that, uh, that any of 
that which I, which I just read from Wayne Grudem. Um, Yvette. I, no, I mean, I, I, I do think that it is always difficult to see something play out in our lives that has that is challenging or difficult, even if it's for a good reason. I mean, yeah. let's be honest, even if and even if we know it's for a good reason and we know it's for our good, it is difficult if it is challenging or doesn't feel good or, you know, is frustrating. So that makes yeah. sense. That makes sense just because we're wired like that. Yeah, I always think about um, one instance, kind of an extreme example, but, you know, because um, it's such a bad period in history. We didn't live through it or even at this time, but at the point where Hitler is in reign and he the terrible things that happened to the Jewish people. Um, there's a lot of scholars, historians, not just not just the theological um, that will that that point to to say that the end of that um, war, the you know getting you know this 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 war, the end of it, the terrible things that happened after that, we saw a movement of the is Israel or the uh, excuse me the nation of Israel back to its nation, and it became a state at that point, an official mm. state. If I'm saying that right. But it was funny. It's not funny, but it's like it's almost as if I'm not saying that, but it's almost as if this terrible thing had to happen to move the nation of Israel. And I'm not hey, look, I'm not undermining anything that happened to um, or, or understating rather uh, anything that happened to Jewish people during that time. I have, you know, I, of course, I have Jewish friends and um and, you know, it's a terrible time in our history, but there there's these movements, I think, sometimes of either, you know, God's people, God's missionaries. Um, again, we were talking before the show, if we look at the big picture of history, um, the movement of the you know European nations into the new land or the new new, uh, which was America, you know, when they came to America. They, they were leaving or escaping what they thought was, um, you know, heretical teachings in the church of England and, and, you know, among all that. And so they, you know, that moved many, many people to this nation, which basically became a, a nation of immigrants. Terrible things happened in this country. I mean, you've got the, uh, you know, things with the, the Native Americans, of course, they got pushed out of the country. Many were killed. Um, you have the, the slavery, uh, period that reigned in America. Um, and you know, we've, we've, re well, I won't say we've totally rebounded from all that, but there's been a lot of bad things that happen in the midst of all that. But at the same time, there's been so many, you know, good things that happen in terms of like missionaries that have come out of our nation and, you know, um, organizations that have done tons and tons and tons and tons so it's like it, it's hard to wrap our minds around all of that and i don't know that we're we're really supposed to understand it all but it just goes back to like one thing he was talking about he made from one every or this comes from that uh acts seventeen twenty six. he made from one one every nation of men so he's talking about that nation of israel 
every nation of men to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their habitation. So it seems that, you know, again, we always say, and it's true, God is under control or he's in control of it all. Um, and sometimes I think we look in the face of, of horror or just these horrific events that we see in, in our history. Um, and although we wish them away, which we do, because we, we would rather not actually, you know, obviously go through um, those kinds of things again, slavery, the, what the Native Americans went through, what the Jewish nation went through. Um, but you just kind of had to wonder what God's plan was with all that. And, and so you see these other movements, these other big things that came from it that were for the glory of God. Um, and we got to remember too, the other piece of that for me, when I think about like some of the bad stuff, um, well, we live in a fallen world. Um, and so unfortunately in a fallen world, there is a lot of bad things. So, um, I think God allows things to happen. I don't think he always directs them to happen. I mean, that's just my opinion. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I don't think he, because I think we got to remember that there's a, you know, there's a sense of free will among men, but in that there is a, uh, there's a, a, na a nature or sin nature in man because of the falling, um, because of the falling that we read about in Genesis three, um, which has made our world imperfect. It has from the beginning of that, you know, what happened, you know, Cain and Abel. I mean, that was the, you know, the first murder that we hear about. So just as soon as well, not just as soon, cause I'm sure there was some years involved or I don't know how many months or years from the time the, the fruit was eaten to that, you know, to that event, but things start to really unravel. Um, knowing the ark, some people will look at Noah in the ark. Why did God kill all these people? So sin ran rampant and, you know, um, sin and those kinds of things are an enemy to God because they're not of God. Um, he doesn't create sin, but sin is here because of the things that, that did happen. And so, yeah, it's just, there's a lot that really just kind of goes through my mind when I'm thinking about like, why is God well, you know, again, when people look at why is God wrathful or why is he a God of wrath and why does he have the right to do that? You know, why does he have the right to do this or allow this? But such so, a big. Yeah, I, so I think I think it's important to. To point out a couple of things, so I think we agree that God doesn't cause that in the Old Testament, we do have evidence that God did cause some bad things to happen. Yes, that was a plan mm -hmm. that is very clear, you know, but, um, but I think today, I think we would agree that God mostly doesn't cause bad things to happen, but he allows bad things to happen for reasons. But I think it's really important to point out that while some things might be and I'm just trying to be real careful here, here, some things might be because of a sinful nature, uh, not of God, but of man, um, where, where something has to happen to correct the course of something, mm -hmm. come as opposed to sinful man. Mm -hmm. So for example, um, I think the way we treat people in this country is not of God at all. It's from sinful man. Mm -hmm. So I think that uh, the early colonials 
um, who came and pushed the Indians off their land. I don't think that was of God. I think that was from sinful man. Um, people who took people from their home in Africa and brought them over in horrific conditions and brought them here to live a horrific life. That's not of God. That is sinful man. Um, and then, and, and, and lots of immigrants were treated so poorly. So I, I think it's important to denote that, that that sinful man that, that, that committed these sins against people. But yes, I think we have seen that God has done kind of a corrective course throughout history to cause things to happen that might've seemed wrathful or might've seemed really very, very hard on people. But I really gotta, I wanna point out that bad things that happen, a lot of bad things that happen are, come from sinful man and not God. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I agree. I agree with you. And, and you know, the, the really bad thing about some of those things, especially when you look at like, yeah, you know, back in the day with slave owners, I mean, they were going to church somehow I, they saw that that was right. And, yeah. you know, I've never understood that as I started to really study scripture and, and think about that con the context of that situation. Mm -hmm. Never really thought about it too much when I was like little, little, you know, it was just kind of like in TV shows and things like that. And you never really question it. But as I got older and just dug more in into in God's scripture, I'm like, how, how did they not see that that was bad? You know, did they read the new Testament? Did they ever, you know, did they ever read the letters that Paul wrote? Um, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, but I will say, I will say that slavery is not of God, but look what God did. Um, there is a strong, a oh, very, no a very strong, um, a, what am I trying to say? A very strong history or a strong connection to God among African-Americans based on that was all they had to cling to. They had nothing. Mm -hmm. They had a horrific life and nothing but family to be to, and families were broken apart of course but to be with each other and to worship god mm -hmm. and so if you can say that was a good thing that came out of slavery you know, i'm not saying that every african-american person in the world worships god but that's a strong that's a strong worshiping god is strong in our community um right and i would say that some of that did happen because worshiping god was really all these people had yeah that's that i love i love thinking about that part of history sometimes because i i, I was a jazz player when i was in middle school or in middle school and high school so i often when i looked at jazz um you couldn't really dig deep into jazz and, and thinking about jazz without looking at like spirituals mm -hmm. because there were a lot of aspects of the spiritual songs that many of the slaves would have sang and the way that they welled and, and bent their voices and all of mm -hmm. that jazz adopts that. So the art of jazz, which is an American art form, um, yeah, that's going international, but it, it started in America, um, takes from that part of history. And I thought that was, that's a small thing. And again, we, you know, but that's a beautiful thing that has come, from that era of history mm -hmm. the uh the church in america 
has benefited so much from, again, like you've got this culture within America now that, like you said, it's, it's been strong in the church and in worship. They always joke about like the difference between a, a white church and a black church. And I've, you know, cause it, especially in the South, this may not be, I'm just speaking from regionally from where I'm from in my experience with my best friend, Tremaine, where he's invited me to church and he's, he warned me, he's like, look, this is going to be different than what you're used to. Cause he's been to my church. But when I went there, I'll just have to share this. Uh, there was this lady that in the front row, she wasn't in the choir. She was not in the choir, but man, just like, as the preacher was talking, this lady starts like this beautiful voice just starts coming out. She's singing in the front row. The spirit, you feel the spirit. Like I felt the Holy Spirit more that day than I ever felt in any other church that I've been in, quite frankly, because I don't know. It's just the, it, it maybe it's the approach to uh, being spiritual and being open to the Holy Spirit and things of that nature and letting God just use us to worship. And I mean, I feel like the worship's better and maybe, uh, maybe I'm making an unfair statement and maybe there's going to be some white folk that are mad at me for saying that, but I'm just going to say it. Cause that's my experience. And I, you know, I've been to, uh, miss, miss Blake, good friend of mine, her and her husband, uh, he's a pastor. And as a matter of fact, I talked to them about being on the podcast and, I, and, and anyway, then they want to, they want to join us one day, but anyway, he's a pastor. She writes music and she's got a beautiful voice and he has been one of my mentors. And again, he's a half African-American uh, gentleman. He's older, but he was one of my mentors for about a little over a year and he discipled me mm -hmm. and I went to their church. And again, beautiful things that I, that were, were worship that I, that I seen and witnessed in that church. And I just love that. Um, but I think that's something that's again, just added to the, the, the texture of worship in America that without it, I don't know, you just wouldn't look the same. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, God can do beautiful things and show beautiful things from tragedy. You got to think about the story from, uh, the, the, the Israelites, they were in slavery for what, 300 years. Mm -hmm. I think Moses comes in and God enacts, uh, Moses to come in to, to, uh, tell the Pharaoh to let my people go. Um, and they went on a journey. And it was a tough journey and they had a hard time, you know, they had a hard time, uh, having faith in such and such and such, but the, again, beautiful things come from that because a nation was established. And, and, and so I don't know, God's just working in all of it. And I think it's beautiful. Yeah. If anything from the show, we're going to try to get you to look at tragedy in a different light. Um, I think we've really explored a lot. You know, we have gone again, uh, looking at the, the, um, if there's any contrast at all, we really don't find too much contrast between the old Testament and new Testament. There are different stories, but they support each other. And again, when we look at God, is God different in the old Testament than he is in the new Testament? It is the same God. He is consistent. There is wrath in the old Testament. There's wrath in the new Testament and face it. There's wrath where there's sin there will be God's wrath. And we are, we are fallen as we talked about as at the fall in Genesis three, we just, we're at that point. That's who we are. It we're fallen Nate or fallen people. Um, and so sometimes in the midst of that, um, 
we were going to see God's wrath. And God is, hey, he's in control. Um, we go, we'll go back to the story of the mother and the father, or thinking about the mother and the father and like how we are going to control our household and how we are going to have uh, a providential uh, control over some things, maybe not all like God. Uh, we're going to be able to see things sort of down the road a little bit better than our kids because they just don't have as much foreknowledge as we might have. Mm-hmm. But the type of foreknowledge that God has is so amazing. Um, he can see things like you said, forward and backwards, and he is outside of time. We were, t- we were kind of, we went off a little bit if we include it in, off script when we're talking about parallel universes, but again, even if he, he's outside of time, maybe there is, cause, uh, that would be sort of outside of time in a sense, um, in a different time, but, but yeah, God is just, he's all over it. And, you know, we can't really fathom in our finite minds, the greatness and the, the, just the, uh, I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it. It's hard to put it in the perfect words really. Right. Well, you know what we, I may have the perfect word. So I was just, I was looking in James, James chapter one, verse 17. And he says, every good and perfect gift is from above coming Mm -hmm. down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change no variation or shadow due to change. He does not change. He is Mm. consistent. He, he loves us. And his nature is that of loving and constancy. And I think that we, I think that we can, we can cling to that as, Mm -hmm. as a people. We can, and we need to. So I encourage everybody that's listening to this. Hopefully you've stuck around with us being patient with as we tread through this this is a tough subject yeah guys it really is and it's an objection for a reason because it is it's a tough one to tackle sometimes um you might have an answer for somebody if they ask why is your god so mean and why is your god a god of genocide but sometimes that answer just doesn't satisfy so sometimes it is hard to look just for the right words um but we know what we need to tell people and encourage people is that we do have a loving god show him how he's loving and sometimes hey and we got to do that by the way we act too did god change us are we revitalized then if we're revitalized, maybe show God to others just by the way that we act and treat them and serve them and love them and just lift them up. And if we can do that, we can build bridges. And then I think it's easier at that point to overcome some of these hard ideas because then now we've got a chance to like dig into scripture with each other because we're loving on each other. We're trying to like, you know, disciple each other and so forth. So we have more opportunity to get to those tough things. But first I think just love each other, build community and um, just do the best you can what with what God gave you. Right. Amen. Be kind. Amen. Be kind and have joy because, you know, we've got reason to have joy and because we love God and God loves us. And he made the greatest sacrifice because so that we could live and um, have eternal life and so just um, i don't know just reach out to somebody with that message because somebody needs to hear it till next time we'll talk to you guys later